So Mike, last year we saw the Web3 hype cycle boom and bust. Yeah, it's true. When we started our Web3 series last year, Web3 was, was supposed to change the internet. Uh, companies are gonna need to adapt or be left behind. The metaverse was the new internet. It's gonna be like 1999 all over again. Then a few bad actors came in and basically ruined everything. Now, can't even say Web3 without getting weird looks. I know, it, it almost feels embarrassing to mention it. Um, but now we're in the middle of the new hype cycle with AI and we're back to revolutionizing everything. Yeah, we're simultaneously destroying the human race and saving it right in the same news cycle. Kind of hard to keep up with which way it's going at any given time. Yeah, and we're in the middle of these like kind of PR storms. It's hard to see the big picture because there's so many emotions being thrown at us daily. It's often tough to find like a reasonable perspective. Social media has it down to a near science now and how posts are crafted to drive maximum virality. And every day there's a new hot take about another business or a, a job that AI has essentially killed. But is any of this actually happening? Is this hype cycle different from other hype cycles that we've seen in the past? Well, we're gonna dig in right now, right after we roll this intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, where your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. And a quick word from our sponsors. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort 
product-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us, go to gigantic.is, that's gigantic.is, and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So for the episode today, I, I actually phoned a friend. Okay, which friend is that? So Otto Pohl is a PR strategist who I felt had an interesting perspective on this whole AI climate and would be able to put some of this into perspective for us. So, so first, a little bit about Otto. So my name is Otto Pohl. Uh, I'm a startup communications consultant, and I run a communications consultancy called Core Communications, as well as the Otto Awards, which is uh, the world's leading startup communications awards program. We hand out about a million dollars a year in prizes to 10 companies that do a particularly great job in telling their startup story. All right. Well, where did you and Otto start? So we started with the buzz. A buzz about AI, obviously OpenAI being one of the key examples of it in the media. Uh, and it's not hard to see why. This, this technology potentially, it, it mirrors, what's going on mirrors a lot of other technologies, but this one really goes kind of at the root of what makes man special and are we maybe losing that moment, right? We used to have this idea that what gave us solace and separation from the animal kingdom is that we're so smart. We can think, we can reason, we can plan. And suddenly there's this potential that we are now that have lost that what makes us special. And that obviously A is very emotionally disconcerting, but it also opens these this whole Pandora's box of fears that either we're going to be irrelevant or we're going to be subjugated to this technology. Some people think obviously it might be the, the, the keys to the kingdom and the, an incredible future. Whatever it is, it becomes this Rorschach test that everybody can project their hopes and fears onto. And that's just made it a particularly uh, perfect storm of technology hype and discussion. Yeah, I definitely agree felt overwhelming at times. They've done an incredible job at pushing out these huge narratives. Sam Altman saying, we're going to need basic income because this thing I'm building is going to wipe out all the jobs. To you know, researchers are coming forward and saying, this will be the end of humanity if we're not reined in. So I wanted to know, who's creating this hype cycle? Is it the companies? Is it the surrounding ecosystem? Well, that's, it's a good question, and I should start by saying I'm not on the inside of any of these AI companies, so I, I don't know. But seeing from the outside, I think, so it's interesting. I think largely the hype is generated from the outside. I think this is just, it's just a perfect storm of things that everybody wants to uh, uh, talk about and, again, express those those hopes and fears. What I do think is that the, the leading AI firms have almost started a, if you can't beat them, join them attitude at this point, uh, in, in terms of exaggerating the hype, just on the fear that 
you can't, they can't do anything about it. So they might as well help build it uh, because uh, uh, it, it, it makes what they're working on feel more important. Uh, I, I don't know if you caught this right, but a few weeks ago, the Center for AI Safety, they put out this statement saying that AI is a societal scale risk in compared you know, to nuclear war and pandemics. And on the one hand, you would think, maybe not such a great idea to compare your product to nuclear war and the end of society. But on the other hand, I think there's a component of self-aggrandizement and swagger here on the theory that, you know, hey, if you're not working on something that could end civilization, you know, oh, you're just building, you know, self-driving cars or or, or a 280 uh, uh, character, you know, just a social media platform, you know, you're not working on something important, right? Like we're over here building nuclear bombs. Uh, so I, I think that they've almost almost sort of thrown in the towel on some extent to uh, the, on, on the sort of the PR conflagration that has happened and figured, let's just go big. Okay, so this massive hype has been built up. What happens next? Well, this AI will enter a trough. It will, there will be that point of disappointment. And we've seen that time and again with every technology. It'd be that crypto, be it driverless cars, even the first internet bubble when it popped in 2000, right? There's all these articles about saying, eh, maybe the internet's not everything it's cracked to be. It brought us some pet sock puppets that sells dog food, but really what is it good for? And, and now obviously, um, you know, obviously the, 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 the technology answered those questions, but there were several years where everybody thought, yeah, maybe, uh, or at least the journalists were able to write articles around, hey, you know, is the internet over? Is it not so great? And we will enter that point. You will see articles, I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, you know, is AI over uh, in 12 months when it hasn't changed everyone's life? Oh, maybe it was all just a hype. Oh, maybe it's not that bad, right? Again, we saw that with all these other technologies. We will see that here. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty convinced. And then the cycle will turn. Okay. Well, there it is. The, the trough is coming, which makes sense. No matter how you feel about AI, eventually the buzz will need to normalize. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more from Autopoll in just a second. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. 
Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So if you were the PR team at OpenAI, what do you do? I, I have no idea, Michael. I really don't. Yeah, <laughs> me either. So I asked Otto this question and he, he gave this example of the hype clock, which is an interesting concept he put together to illustrate the different cycles of hype. Here, take a listen. Best to fight against it and, and have your keep telling your story as best you can and arguing that, no, it's not over. It takes a little bit longer and you'll highlight some successes. The, the, the way I think about this whole thing is uh, of a, as a sort of a hype clock. And you know that it's going to turn, but you also know that if you keep managing it correctly, it will turn again in your favor. And so it starts with, right, the technology is is, is nascent, nobody's heard of the company. And, and as a PR professional, you're trying to get people to notice, you're just trying to get it on people's radar screens. If you're successful, the company is good, it starts to grow, maybe there's a couple of smaller articles, then it gets bigger, suddenly, a mainstream journalist uh, writes about it. Suddenly, you hit your fortune cover page moment, uh, and 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 in AI sense, and in OpenAI's uh, case, obviously, it's hit this sort of mega tsunami. Uh, but then the the cycle turns. Now there's oh, there's cracks in the facade. Oh, maybe it's not uh, so great. Oh, it turns out that though the CEO was you know caught at a at a party drinking too much. Whatever it is, there's insider gossip that nobody's happy. Uh, and then it starts to turn. And then hey, is this thing over? And then it's it starts to turn. So oh, they do something good. Oh, but okay, they were over. But have you seen the latest product that they put out? And then if you manage it well, and that's obviously the PR communications job, is to then sort of slowly manage yourself back to uh, the place where people are saying, oh my gosh, there's act two. This thing is incredible. A company that comes to mind in a lot of this conversation is Facebook or Meta. They seem to be able to ride these hype cycles fairly smoothly. Yeah, and Otto actually talked about Facebook, Meta, actually right here. Facebook is Facebook's a great example because they first of all they've been around for quite a while now. They are obviously had a tremendous impact and they've gone through some very clear business cycles and therefore hype cycles. And 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 first let me also say that technology is a particularly great place to see these hype cycles in action. It happens in other industries. Technology is just a, more central to our lives. B, the people who cover technology are generally more tech-focused, so you'll see a lot more writing and blogs and podcasts and and and, and Twitter posts about it. Uh, and it's just very central. It's very central to our lives, so we, we we pay a lot of attention to it. And the technology develops quite rapidly, so it's it's quite visible here. Facebook obviously burst onto the scene, and at first. Everybody, it was incredible, right? It was growing, you know, eighty percent week over week. It was everybody was. It really grew like a like a uh, uh, whatever the, your analogy is a weed or a fungus and uh, exploded onto the scene. And at, at first, also had a very positive story. Oh, it's connecting people. It's bringing people together, right? Very positive. So then it goes through this whole uh, thing. It, 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 it dominates the world, but then you have things like the Cambridge Analytica scandal. You've got the 2016 election. Um, uh, by the time, I think I saw a study 
by the time 2018 rolled around, right? Back in 04, news articles typically would mention college students and, and, and connectivity when they talked about Facebook. By 2018, the main uh, association was fake news. Uh, then obviously they tried to change the story by the big name change to Meta. And oh, now let's leave all that social media mess behind. We're gonna talk about uh, the virtual worlds that we're building and it's this whole new thing. And that was really just V1. You should all be focusing on V2. The, the technology development obviously had some different plans. Now everybody's talking about AI. And so Zuckerberg's like, great, like we're all about AI. You know, sort of almost throwing things against the wall to see what positive associations he can do so that it can uh, sort of come out, he can come out in the wash uh, as a more positively again. So Facebook has really gone around this hype cycle a particularly vivid number of times. And I think that's what makes them a particularly great example of, um, of this hype clock idea. That makes a lot of sense. They've seen so many cycles now and they do often find themselves in the middle of these hype conversations. And they survive. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with some actionable advice on how to build your own hype cycle. So before the break, we promised you some actionable advice when approaching PR and building your own hype cycle. Now, 99.99% of the time, you won't end up with results like artificial intelligence is experiencing now or Web3 experience last year. But I asked Otto for a case study from a company who had done a similar thing at a smaller scale, something more relatable. Um, and he mentioned one of his clients, Carbon to Stone. So, so Carbon to Stone is a startup that I'm working with very early stage, right? So I focus my work on those first few phases of the hype clock. And a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of which is that that's where most startups are. Most startups dream of having problems like Facebook or what OpenAI is facing right now. They want to just get their name out there. And they know that at least the very the first steps, unless something goes very wrong, those first few turns or, 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 or hours of, the, of that hype clock are generally positive. People give you the benefit of the doubt. They want to hear that your product is great. But First and foremost, a founder wants you to hear about the product at all. And most startups are at that phase. Uh, so Carbon to Stone is a particularly interesting example because they are, uh, first of all, solving something really incredible. They have figured out a technology that can extract atmospheric carbon, so carbon from the air or from smokestacks, process it together with waste from, uh, from, indust from industry, and then turn that into physical rock that can be stored or reused actually in an industrial setting. And while they're extracting, uh, they're, they're, they're uh, mineralizing that carbon, they also extract all of the valuable minerals that are trapped in that industrial waste. Things like lithium and, and, and plutonium or, or what have you. So they can extract all these uh, so valuable minerals and metals out of the industrial waste and then use them uh, for for in, in industrial uses. And so you have uh, uh, this relatively complex story and your goal is to try to get that out there. And so now the challenge for a PR professional at this point is much more around, okay, how do I start defining the audiences that need to hear that? And how can I get that message told to the uh, uh, to the audiences that need to hear it in order for them to take the action. So in the case of a carbon to stone, 
you have industrial partners, you've got aluminum smelters, perhaps, or iron ore companies, right? You've got any company that's processing large amounts of mining uh, material, mined material in order to produce some industrial output. You've got people who are recycling metals. Uh, you've obviously got companies that are trying to focus on uh, reducing atmospheric carbon, partnering with them. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge of getting that message and packaging it up in a way that even gets these people to notice. And if you're lucky, then you get to uh, you, you, you get to the point where someone starts to say, wait a minute, is this all that great? And write the countervailing article. That's interesting. If you're lucky enough for someone to write the countervailing article. That's right. You want the campaign to be so successful, there's actually a benefit, be it like clicks or eyeballs, to writing the counter argument. So how do you do this? What are the challenges startups face when pursuing PR? Exactly. So there's, 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 first of all, you're exactly right. Most people will come and their first instinct is tier one publications. I want to be in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, right? Washington Post. It impresses mom. Everyone's heard of it. It feels like a great feather in the cap. There's two reasons why I would generally, again, with, with a more targeted, uh, almost with any startup, not start there. And the first is that it's a lot easier to get into some of these smaller ones, and you're actually going to find a much higher concentration of your intended audience that is reading that publication and that is might take action as a result of, of doing so. New York Times feels great, but 99% of the people that are reading that are functionally irrelevant to the success of your, of your company. And if you can get it, of course, it's great. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, it's just that A, it typically requires a lot more time and resources to get into. It's a much lower likelihood of success. And secondly, the chances are that if you even do, you're gonna get a very small mention. It's gonna be far less about you than it is about some larger issue, and maybe they're gonna mention you in the 37th paragraph. And and that's, listen, that, that can be great if you can get there, but you can have a feature article about yourself in Lawn and Garden Magazine if you happen to be doing something that's targeted at, 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 at you know, backyards, say. Uh, that can be way more powerful at convincing the contractors that put in gardens uh, at buying your product than if there's a mention in the, the garden section of the New York Times uh, when that happens. So I generally direct people to really thinking uh, about how small they can go, at least initially, and then you can uh, and then you can grow from there. And ultimately, the New York Times journalist will then refer typically, they'll research the, the, the company and they'll find all these other articles that you've placed and that can become the beginnings of the story that they're gonna then use when they finally write about it. So if you wanted to do all of this, where do you even start? So you start small, then you try to go big and you gotta lay the groundwork before pursuing these larger opportunities. Sound advice, and with that, a uh, huge thanks to Otto Pohl today. If you wanna get in touch with Otto, we'll include a link in the show notes. That's going to do us for today. So for Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is rocketship.fm.